0: My God, it's Uncle Wiggly. He's got some wonderful stories for you. So, uh, come on, honey, sit on my knee. Yes, uh, said, make yourself comfortable. i will tell some stories. Oh! oh, oh. <laughs> what a lovely little bit of bottom you have. One, two, three, right. <laughs> All together, gang, now. Oh! The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. Ba, 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 the bear, bear missed the train. train and now he's walking. walking. Yeah. The bear, the bear missed the train. Oh, bear the bear missed the train. train. The, bear the bear missed the train. train and now he's walking. And now he's walking, walking by, by. And now he's walking near. He's walking in a car. He's drinking a glass of beer, yeah. The bear missed The bear missed the train and now he's walking. All right. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train, and now he's walking home. He's walking near. He's walking near. He's walking walking everywhere. He's walking all around. around. And now he's walking in your hair. Yeah, the bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking. You can take that off. I like to sound like, you know, one of those tapped edges that show up once in a while on TV. I ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you that. I don't think that, uh, that, that there's been anything we've done in years that has caused as much true controversy, I mean real controversy, as that uh, Bear Mr. the Train opus. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit about it. You know that, that there's that there's the, the the letter writers who write about this are evenly divided. One guy says, Shepard, the minute you start the Bear Missed the Train, I turn on Barry Gray. <laughs> and another guy says, Shepard, if you go for five minutes without playing the Bear Missed the Train, I turn on my girlfriend. They're a very different type. So, uh... oh, by the way, sport fans, it's time once again... Sports fans, this is Spike McBullet with tonight's sports report. Tonight we salute another great champion. Yes, all the thrill of victory and all the devastating defeats. So, good evening, sport fans. It's time to salute a great American champion. It isn't often at this corner in the sports desk that a fan gets saluted, and tonight we're going to salute a great champion. He performs out in Cleveland, Ohio, and we'd like to listen if we go to the story of this great champion tonight. Among regular patrons in the upper deck boxes at the Cleveland Indians baseball games, Mr. Paul Headland is known as the Glove. Those who view him occasionally from a safe distance call him an overgrown kid with a baseball glove. But we do not take that view. Here is a true sportsman. Undergrown little kids in the stands mistake him for a bully, a meanie, or a greedy old man. Ushers sometimes chastise him for being a nuisance. And we quote Mr. Headland at this point. He says, I couldn't care less what people think or say. Headland who is the father of two, and a teacher at Salem High School in Ohio, ranks right up there with Tris Speaker as one of the greatest fly chasers in Indian history. Headland, however, does his thing in the stands. If you have gone out to the Cleveland Indians ballpark, you may have noticed him. He's the fellow who once tumbled head over heels down 17 flights of steps down the upper steep deck concrete stairs chasing a foul ball. Three years ago, Headland decided to actively pursue foul balls hit into the stands. He was ceasing to be passive. He was going to move right out. He went into Friday night's game this past week with 99 recoveries, 99 foul balls. And he's confident before the season is over of reaching 100. And we quote him again. For every ball I've got, I've given up large areas of skin says Headland, who wears his oldest clothes to the games because he careens over and under seats, chasing the bouncing balls. He once gashed open a leg. His shins show bruises from his knee all the way down to his ankles. My wife thinks I'm nuts, says Headland. I tell him he's going to fall out of the stands, says his wife, Carol Sue. Well, you need the breaks. Well, it's spoken like a true sportsman, you need the brakes, And you got to hustle. And, of course, there's talent. There is talent, Headland says in defense of his actions. Headland attends at least 20 games a season, and he arrives early. During batting practice, he sits in the lower left field stands, crouched, waiting, with his Tris Speaker model fielders mitt at the ready. When the game starts, he moves into action, up to his seat in the upper deck, behind home plate. He always buys a seat on the aisle. He never, at any point, removes his gloves. He is considering getting a pair of spiked shoes. Often he doesn't even sit in his seat. Quote, Ushers sometimes tell me to sit down, headland who pays little attention of course being a true ball fan who never sits during a game During against certain batters he cheats a bit left handed hitters tend to foul off balls to the left side of home plate and right handers to the right side he is discovered and now he plays each hitter he knows their habits his personal record is four game balls in one game, in one night game in 1970 when the Indians played the Orioles what does he do with the balls? a good question sport fans I give them away he said. Sometimes I give them to kids. Sometimes I just keep them. Other times I give them as Christmas presents. It depends on who's hit the ball. A ball hit by Richie Allen, for example, is far more valuable than a ball hit by Gene Michaels, the light-hitting shortstop for the New York Yankees. Then Mr. Headland excused himself, left this interview, and picked up his glove to do a little practice running out in the backyard. You've got to keep your knees loose, he said, as he disappeared around the garage. So tonight, the sports desk has saluted Paul Headland, champion and American sportsman. Sports Personalities in the news is presented every week at the same time over this station. This is Spike McBullet, your coach in the stands. To all of your sport fans and all of you fans of any sport, everywhere, wherever you might be tonight, remember, it ain't how you play the game, it's whether you win or not. That's what counts. Tonight's Sports Anality program was produced by Rune Arledge. Directed by Chris Schenkel. Photography and additional bombast by Howard Cosell. This is the Blue Network. Yeah. Hey, would you would? Uh, <laughs> How'd you like that? That oh, why do they put this stuff on my show? For God's sake, why don't they put the sports report on? You know, damn. But hey, wait. Before you put that away, can I can I hear just the last? Just just set uh, set that on for the last. Roughly in the last minute, I want to show you something. <laughs> One thing about Sousa, he wrote for some unusual instruments. And listen carefully to the sound in about the, well about the last minute or so of this coda. Listen, listen to it. Okay, you hear, what, hear hear what's in the background there. All right, I'll tell you, because I, I assume you have a tin ear. What he has, <laughs> what he wrote for, was the was a referee whistle, and there's a referee whistle in there. And and one of the, my great artistic moments in my artistic life came, you know, one day when our brand director, see, I'm playing in a band, and we used to do the uh, Stars and Stripes Forever, well, one of our big auditorium specials, you know, when we have a big auditorium session, we'd play the Stars and Stripes Forever. And that one day, he, he just, he's looking at the bass section back there, you know, the six of us sitting back there, me and Schwartz and Ernie Dunker, Freddie Roller, you know all these great artists back there, and we're all sitting there with our sousaphones around our neck because we love to play the Stars of Stripes for minutes. That's a that's a buster when you're when you're a sousaphone player. And he's looking over the crowd there, and I'm sitting back there tilting. You know, I, I used to love to tilt my my sousaphone back. You know, you, if you don't know what a sousaphone is, a sousaphone is what most people call a bass horn. Uh, that's actually a sousaphone. It was invented by Sousa, see, and uh, yeah, and uh, they call it a sousaphone because he was trying to figure out a way that you could take a bass horn, which is an upright instrument. It, you know, it's a great big thing. and sits on a stand. He's trying to figure a way that you could take one of these out on a, on a field and you could march with it. So he's just straightened the baby out, you know, hung it around the guy's shoulder, and that's called a sousaphone. It's a big baby and big bells. And one of the little tricks that sousaphone players love to do is when they're rehearsing is to see how far back they can tilt their chair <laughs> without literally falling over backwards, you know, without the thing overpowering you. I'm sitting back there, you know, tilting back, rocking on two legs, you know. You you can get so good that your sousaphone will balance you, and you can sit with your two feet up in the front and the two front feet of the chair up and just sit, immobile, balanced. Oh, that's talent. Well, uh, he just looked up and down the crowd, saying, he says, "Uh, you, Shepard. He says, tonight at the concert... And I think, oh, boy, here, here we go. You know, I, I was always getting hell for my... Because I used to ad-lib a lot on my sousaphone. Yeah, I used to... T- once in a while, I would play the clarinet part. Because uh, they always had the great part. You know, they would go... they get these trills, you know, and I'd play the clarinet part. Once in a while, I'd play the peckhorn part. And uh, occasionally, I would fall in with the trumpets, play their part. They have the, you know, the great, uh, the great uh, trumpet fan. You know, da 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 That's the trumpet part. See, the bass part is... You know, so you like to play the the good parts once in a while he, he points to me and says you shepherd tonight at the concert I want you on whistle <laughs> well the reason I got the, on whistle that night was that uh, Al Longnecker who usually played the whistle and uh, also played the timpani had gotten a pip he got a fantastic rash of cold sores or something that day and uh, was not going to be at the concert so he says you play tonight the whistle so we rehearsed me playing a whistle and that night, uh, you know, and the, see, because you, when you play the whistle, you stand up. You know, like the like the guy that plays the cymbals gets something crashes. Well, I stand up with this police it was a great big actually it was a big silver referee whistle. And uh, every time it says whistle, I blow the hell out of it, and people would cheer. <laughs> it's showbiz, you know. This is W O R New York. Uh, and speaking of showbiz, listen carefully. artistic event of outstanding importance occurs. Abraham Lincoln at Gettysburg. Napoleon at Waterloo. Gene Shepard at Carnegie Hall. important important announcement. announcement. If you You miss miss this very important announcement, announcement, you are really going going to be sorry. I, Gene Shepard, your fearless fearless leader, leader, am going going to do do one one show show in New New York this season. season. I repeat, one one show. show. So So if you boot this one, you have no excuse. excuse. Do Do not 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 say you were not Warned, Gene Shepard at at Carnegie Hall. Hall. It's me, gang, Gene Shepherd. I will be unbelievably live at Carnegie Hall Tuesday, October seventeenth at 8 p.m. I repeat, Tuesday, October seventeenth. We will have with us Sinful Street, which is a better than average group, and we will have a lot of fantastic surprises for you. You better get your tickets now. Get your tickets now. They are 350, 450, and 550, which is a great bargain for Carnegie Hall. You can get your tickets by mail by sending a check or money order and stamped self-addressed envelope too. Carnegie Hall, 154 West 57th Street, New York, 10019, and be sure to tell them you want tickets to The Gene Shepard Show. (laughs) You will never forget it. You will, I repeat, never forget it. For further information, call Carnegie Hall, box office, at area code 212-247-7459. Don't call me! (laughs) <laughs> hey, man. Thank you. Oh, what a production. Well, it's true. I mean, how many how many times in a lifetime does a guy do a one-man show at Carnegie Hall, man? You better be there. That is an order. As a matter of fact, that is an assignment. You're not going to get out of it. It's an assignment. <laughs> an assignment. Oh, the continuing adventures of Lionel Marshall, proprietor of over 75 shoe town stores, the man with super shuman powers known the world over as Super Shoe. Today we find Lionel in his fantastic Shoe Town Children's Department. I think I want... Let's see if I can guess... He must want a pair of my famous brand children's shoes, superbly fit by one of our trained salesmen. at costs so low that if it weren't for Super Shoe, I'd never be able to do it. Say, how about these? They're great. I don't know. Well, how about these? We've got a fantastic selection, you know. No, not those either, Dad. Why can't we just call Super Shoe? He'll know exactly what I want. Someday, I suppose, I'll just have to tell him. But not today, not now. Super Shoe's fantastic children's department, only at Shoe Town. All right, baby. Shoe Town has hikers—the rugged, comfortable work shoes for kids. Hikers on sale through Saturday, just five fifty-five for oxfords, and six sixty-six for boots. And men through Saturday, save thirty percent on comfortable Scott Allen tube socks. Yeah, put socks on your tubes. Now just fifty-five cents a pair at Shoe Town. <laughs> I don't know. I just read the copy. I don't invent the. I don't invent the news, honey. I just read it. <laughs> Uh, Don't you wish the Times was like, hey, uh, would you like a magazine that tells all about the latest trends in home furnishings? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wow. A magazine with nearly 100 pages bursting with colorful ideas for decorating your home or your hovel. Well, Sunday's New York Times has it. It's the home. That's capitalized, by the way. A complete magazine devoted entirely to living at home, which is what some people often try to do. In the Home Magazine, you'll discover, for instance, why modern design is gaining wider acceptance in home decoration. Yes, here's a shopping guide, a browsing guide to home furnishings today. The Home Magazine, a big added attraction in Sunday's New York Times. And let's see, they have a couple of other little goodies going this Sunday, so uh, be sure to pick up your New York Times this Sunday. should weigh about 15, 20 pounds this week. So get your copy of Sunday's New York Times, and for information about home delivery of the Times, call MU70700. Area code 212, of course. MU70700. The friendly New York Times. Uh, how's this grab you, gang? If breakfast leaves you cold, it leaves you cold. You sit there and say, I don't want to eat. Uh, warm up a nice hot dish of Wolf's Kasha. That'll scare them. Nut-flavored little kernels of roasted buckwheat grain. Now you might expect to find Wolf's Kasha at the supermarket in the cereal section, but it is not. With all the fantastic vitamins, minerals, and protein in Wolf's Kasha, you might expect it in the health foods section sitting next to the tiger's milk, but it's not. With all the exotic dishes you can make with Wolf's Kasha, you might expect to find it, you know, sitting next to caviar in the gourmet section, but it isn't. Well, where the hell do you get it? Oh, try the kosher section of your supermarket. Wolf's Kasha is probably sitting right there next to the gefilte fish. Now that you've uh, finally found, you've found Wolf's Kasha on the shelf, find out how to make great experiments with it. In fact, they have a fantastic recipe for Kasha popsicles. For a free copy of Wolf's Kasha Cookbook, which is an incredible book, fantastically illustrated, write to Wolf's in care of me. Wolf's in care of me. That wolf is with two F's. W-O-R, New York, one 0 0 And uh, let's see, do you need tires? Well, uh, See the tire pros at your local General Tire headquarters for all your tire needs. From sports cars to sedans, from sedan chairs to compacts to king-size cars, General Tire makes the tires you need. So you get out of your tire that with the big red G there, General Tire, and you ask them about those fantastic belted radials. And in the Bronx you can see good old Murray Lester or Sam Ayola at Bronx General Tire 579 Grand Concourse of which there is no grander. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I just have to, you know, speaking of, uh, of, I I can't forget, though, that guy's crouching out in the stands there right now, probably tonight. uh, Cleveland's probably playing a night game. He doesn't know who the hell's winning or anything. He just keeps watching for those fouls. Now, you know, the reason that that is such a great story is that there hasn't been a ball fan ever to himself hasn't said I say there is no ball fan so dead in the head who himself has never said, I wish I could get a foul just once. You know, many a ball fan has gone his entire career. Now, that doesn't mean much to a lot of you non-ball fans. But many a ball fan has gone his entire career without so much as getting within seven sections of a foul ball. Now, maybe you don't know, for those of you who are non-baseball fans, when a foul ball is hitting the stands, it's any man for himself. And whoever gets it can keep it. So when there's 35,000 people out at the stands, <laughs> the odds ain't good. And here's a guy that's knocked down 99 foul balls in one season. That has to go in the record book. I mean, don't you agree, Jerry? I mean, that that is a record that, that's going to stand for a long time. No, that's going to stand with Murray Wills, you know, with Murray Wills stealing 108 bases or whatever it is, because this is an unparalleled record. I mean, it's like a guy winning. It's roughly the same as a pitcher. All of a sudden... Comes out of the bush leagues, and he wins, say, in one season, seventy-four games. I mean, that would just play hell with the records, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be forget it. You know, well, here's a guy that's caught ninety, and he's confident of making a hundred by the end of the season. Well, now, uh, you know, this is—how well, many home games did he play? That means, he, and he got four foul balls in one game. That—that that has to be a record. That absolutely has to be. And, you know, I'll tell you a little story. If any of you guys are sport fans out there, I'm going to tell you a story. This is a sickening story. I shouldn't even tell it to you. But, uh, no, I will. I will. You see, I've always had a theory that uh, heroism is a combination of factors. One, heroism is being at the right place at the right time, right? I mean, you know, how can you ever save a child from a safe falling from the 10th floor? You know, that's been... Uh, without being on the scene. I mean, you have to be there when it's happening. Now, the next factor is you have to have quick reflexes. (laughs) Also, the third factor is you have to have kind of a dumb mind which does not calculate the consequences of what you are about to undertake. Those three factors, say, make... uh, they, They make congressional medal winners, really, ultimately. Well, I'll tell you a story. Now... You know, here it is. It's pro football season now, right? Well, to get a seat or a ticket for any one of the pro football games in New York City is roughly, I mean, it's roughly like getting a private papal audience. I mean, it ain't the easiest thing to do. You can do it. You can do it. But you, to do it, you have to have a combination of pull. You have to have a combination of all kinds of things. Luck, you got to know the right guy. I don't know who those people are that go out and get, get those seats in the Giant games week after week after week. I don't know. You know, it's a special population within a population—the people in the stands. I mean, you know, here you are—you're sitting out there watching it up in some place in the upper, uh, you know, upper Norwich, Connecticut, just beyond the blackout line, where you're sitting in a motel watching the Giants game with snow coming down on the field, and that's about as close to the game as you'll ever get. Now, you mean you don't know about that thing? Well, okay, I won't explain that to you. Well, anyway. Shepard unexpectedly got a got a ticket to a Giants game. Now uh, this was, by the way, when the Giants were a hot ball club. Now you know it's a, you know you know. Uh, but this is when the Giants had you know Y.A. Tittle and all that stuff, and man, they were killing everybody. See, and the Frank Gifford was catching those passes, going out the sidelines, and oh, they had a great team, and they were you know they were they were really a powerhouse. Well, one day the phone rings and the guy says "Uh, hey Shepard you sitting down and I said yeah I'm sitting down what's up what happened he says don't mention it to anybody but I have a spare ticket to the Giants versus the Baltimore Colts this Sunday would you like to go this is a silly question I mean in New York anybody who's asked a question like that is ridiculous you know it's uh, like if somebody comes up and says to you would you like to live forever what's your answer You know, you're not going to say no, no. (laughs) Very few people. So I says, "My God, okay, where, where, where where do we get it? You know, huh?" And he says, "All right, I'll tell you what you do. You meet me in the main parking lot, right outside of the of uh, of uh, at that time they were playing in the Yankee Stadium. Was it Yankee Stadium?" Polo grounds. I'm sorry, it was the polo grounds. Yeah, polo grounds. He says you meet me at a big parking lot out there. he says you meet me by the entrance to the parking lot. He says the one when you come right off of the Triborough Bridge. You get in there. I say, I says okay, I'll be there. So it was a bitter cold day, as it is often uh, during pro football. At the end of the season, one of those really desperate games where the Baltimore Colts, you know, with Johnny Unitas, they're battling down the, and 28 million people are out there, oh, you never saw such a crowd in your life, it's a fantastic crowd, and if you've ever seen, had the chance to see a football game, or anything in the polo grounds, you know, they always write about Ebbets Field, and what a great feeling, but I will tell you this, Ebbets Field, and I saw a couple of games at Ebbets Field, polo grounds it was a, a, a special feeling. You ever you ever been in the Polo Grounds? You know that special feeling. It's it's a really intimate feeling. It's a, the the stands towered up, and there was a kind of a deep shadow that would drift down, and it, it, it sort of enclosed you. It was a, really a, really an, an interesting field. And so I I'm out there, you know, like a half an hour early. See, I'm going I'm going to see the football game, and there's thousands of people coming in. And this game had been built up. You might remember back in the days when when Y.A. Tittle and, and Unitas were having these great duels and they've been built up for, you know, for, for weeks. This is going to be the big game. See, thousands of people are tied for first place in the NFL and all that jazz. It's about, uh, you know, second to the last game they're going to play before the big, uh, you know, big championship game. It's a fantastic crowd out there. And, the, and the people came there uh, to just be outside the stadium. Did you know that? that, uh, I mean, who didn't, had no chance to get in. I mean, they didn't come there hoping for a ticket, but they would sit out there uh, outside of the stadium, polo grounds, and they would have their transistor radios, and they're listening to the football game, and then they would hear the cheers, you see, (laughs) coming right out of the stadium. You're fantastic cheers. And he has a feeling like he's actually at the game, because, you know, there he is, they're selling programs and scorecards and all that. It was that kind of scene, see? So I'm, I'm out, by the parking lot, they're waiting for my buddy to come. I'll tell you who it was. It was a guy that owned the limelight, and uh, an old friend of mine. See, and uh, he's, he he comes ambling along uh, in in his old station wagon. I says, "Gee, you know, hey, how are you?" You know, and there he is, and he's really got the ticket. See, I figured at the last minute he would say that his mother, who has a wooden leg, insisted on coming. You know, the only game she'll ever see in her life, that stuff. You know, you always expect that. And sure enough, he drives past me in this old station wagon, and his hand shoots out of the window, and he's got these two tickets in his hand. See, he just holds them up like that. Of course, 19 guys tried to kill him right there. See, and they they were they were a special color in the Polo Grounds. They had a special color. If you were within the 30 yard line, from one 30 yard line to the next 30 yard line, that means right around the 50 yard line, which are the greatest seats in the world. If you were in that area, they were yellow. So he holds up these two big yellow seats. My God, I'm not even got a seat. See, I'm going to be right there where it's happening. See, so he holds it up. Well, I, I wait. He parks the car, and it's cold. Oh, man, was it cold. It was like, you know, some nights uh, in New York, as, 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 the, as the sun starts going down, it starts getting colder and colder. And uh, here it was about 1.30. And already it's it's down around 10 or 12, a bitter cold day. And Sunday... And Sunday seems to be colder than any day in New York for some crazy reason. It was called Man, was it cold? So I've got my sheepskin coat on and I've got you know I've got my boots and the whole bit. And uh, along comes my buddy. He comes out of the crowd there and he says, "Come on, let's go, man. We want to get. We don't want to miss the kickoff." See, the crowd is pouring in, and he's got a hold of these these tickets. Well, believe me, uh, they were mugging guys in the crowd for tickets. You, you hear a scream and. The body would fall, and six guys would run off into the darkness with his ticket. You know, so see, he's holding the whole. He's got to hold him the ticket, so <laughs> we get, we go through the turnstile. Thousands and thousands of people are going in, and up the ramp we go. And the uh, we he looks down at the section. over you we know, section 27 seat eight nine whatever it is row D. And the uh, boy, they were fantastic seats. I said, where'd you get these seats? He says, never mind. He says, don't ask. He says, you better you shouldn't know. So, you know, obviously there was some skullduggery involved, you know, murder, back of the limelight one night, you know, and who knows. So we've got the seats. That's all that counts. So we go down this aisle. We're up in the, uh, it was right on the mezzanine deck, you know, and we're looking down, and here's the field. You could see they had plowed the snow off. You could see little drifts of snow all around the place, and the the grass was kind of brown and green patches and those great big white lines, and they had flags. Yeah, 'cause you know they had the the flags for the for the 50 yard line, the, the you know all, all the 10 yard lines all the way down to the goal line. Had little flags up there, seen? They were all set in the snow, and out on the field that the the ball clubs were were running around getting warmed up. You could see their breath blowing, and you see Tittle down there. He wore this uh, he wore this skull cap all the time. He had this little round skull cap. He was bald as a billiard ball. He had this skull cap. I mean, he's flipping them passes back and forth. Man, he had shoulders on him. Saying, and you see Gifford going out there, grabbing him in those hook passes. And uh, on the other side of the field, you see the blue and white of the hated Baltimore Colts. And uh, Johnny Unitas, big number 19, he's flipping those under. Just casually getting his arm loose. This was when he was at his very peak. He's just flipping little passes to three or four receivers. and They're just catching him and running down there. And, uh, and you can see the defensive lines are working out in the end zones, and they're pushing each other around. Wow, the crowd is fantastic. And it's just a, the excitement, its a dynamic excitement. And it's growing, it's growing, a tremendous crowd. Well, now it is time for the kickoff. And we are sitting in our seats waiting. Well, now, the one thing that, that you never do at a kickoff, you know, high school games, nothing. You never sit down at a kickoff. The minute the kickoff, you know, as soon as they start sweeping forward, everybody stands up. It's kind of a tradition, see? So you hear down on the field, you hear know, the whistles, and they flip for which side they're going to go, and who's going to get the kick, and who's going to kick off, and the Giants are kicking off. The Baltimore Colts elected to receive. You got the scene, and they're they're way down, and and the the goal line that the, the one that the Baltimore team pulls in, in the draw, they're down by first base. You know, you know, they had the, the goal line down, literally between pitcher's mound, right right around the pitcher's mound, and first base, it cut through there. You see. And the uh, there you see the Giants are waiting out the other end of the fleet. We're we're leaning forward, man. And the kicker—I don't don't remember who it was—but the kicker for the the uh, the uh, the Giant sweeps forward, and man, you could just hear the sound of that boonk. You know, you don't really hear that on on TV. You know, the real sound—it just goes boonk. You know, that that kick of a football is a distinctive sound. In fact, if I were if I were producing football games for television, the one thing I would do. I would have a special uh, shotgun mic that would pick up the sound of the football. They don't do that. You hear a lot of people yelling. You also hear once in a while, Howard Cosell constantly. But uh, I would love to hear the sound of the football instead of old Howie occasionally, see. But that's a great sound. Any of you have ever heard the sound of a football being kicked in anger? (laughs) I mean, I don't mean just kicked out in the backyard. In anger by a pro. That is a special sound. It, it's got a sort of a, a ringing hollow funk, you know. Boom. It goes. Boom. And that ball arches up way high. Man, these guys know how to kick off. You know, that ball is it's like 18 stories up in the air because they want that high arching kick so he can't get the run back. See, and the ball is coming down around the goal line. See, and the the Baltimore, the Baltimore receiver, there were two receivers right under the goal line. One guy grabs the ball, see, and he, he immediately cuts for the sideline and tries to cut back. And you could hear the sound of the tackle. you uh, Sam Huff or somebody moving forward, just go. You hear that thump, You know? Down they go, and up they—they're—they're they're immediately up. See, and the ground is as hard as a rock, and you can see the breath rising from the football players down there. Now they—they go back into their offensive huddle. You see, United standing. You know, United always looks around. He, his head goes up, and he's looking at the defensive line back and forth. And then he ducks down. And the the offensive team is in two rows and two tiers in front of him. You can see him talking away there, see? United says one quarterback that calls his own plays, right? So he's down there calling a play. And there's dead silence in the crowd waiting. And sure enough, the first play, Tom Maddy takes the ball off left guard for 12 yards. He just zap right in, see? And the crowd, wah! You know, defense! They're starting to yell already, see, defense! Well, the game proceeded. Great game. And now by the end of the first half, the score stands at seven all. Each team has scored a touchdown. And it is really getting cold. The temperature now is down around three degrees. And it's getting, you're getting very gloomy in the stadium. You see, as the sun went down, that was a big high. The stands were very high out at the polo grounds, and there were hills out there. You know, those hills around the polo ground. And as the sun began to slant down, it was almost black in the, in the polo grounds. They turned on the lights. Boy, did it get dramatic at that point. You could see their breath, big white clouds of breath coming from the defensive huddles. And now the the second half begins. In the meantime, Marty, my buddy, Marty Lauren, who was one of the owners of the of the Lima, he whips out of his out of his poncho, this great big fur poncho, and he takes this this flask out, saying, and he says, It's Quantro. I says, Quantro at the football game? He says, Yeah, con quantro He says, It works. God was it hot. You know that stuff. Just sizzled down your throat. Ah, you know. The, yet you know we were so cold that drinking this stuff had absolutely—it it didn't do anything. You know your body was burning up this stuff. Well now it is late in the in the fourth period, and it is a ding dong ball game. I mean a real ball game. They are battling down to the wire. The score stands at something like twenty to eight. Yes, it was twenty to eighteen. The Giants were trailing, and they had about two and a half, maybe three minutes to play. And the Giants have been driving all the way down now, and they are now they are now at about the thirty yard line, and uh, you can see Tittle down there waiting. You know he's looking looking over the defensive line. The defensive they were they were really stunning on him. They were doing all kinds of stuff in the defensive line. So everyone expected, you know, everyone expected him to try another pass. He had two. Instead, what happens? Nope. He calls for a field goal. Dead silence, and out comes the field goal kicker. He comes trotting out, big number three. First time he's been used in the game. He comes trotting out. What do you think Shepard's doing? Well, Shepard, for some insane reason, which I have never yet been able to... De- I had a terrible desire to have a hot dog. Well, there were no hot dog guys selling in our, in our area at the time. So Shepard had gotten up, and he had walked all the way down to the other end, where they had a little refreshment stand up there. And here I am in the end zone, way back there, see? And 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 Marty says, Bring back two hot dogs for me, bring back some coffee. So I've got one of these cardboard boxes with hot dogs and coffee and I'm walking along and I'm looking over my shoulder, see? And they're about to kick that field goal. And I see them lining up. I look back and I'm trying to go through the crowd with my with my coffee, see, and I hear behind me I hear the signal the 9, 9, eighteen nine nine six yellow 1, 2, 3, And then I hear book like that. And I hear the crowd. wah, tremendous roar and all I felt was this tr- fantastic shot. I got, it, it was like somebody really hit me from behind. Somebody with a head, you know, down. It just went sock, and the coffee flies over the place. I look around. I have been hit by the damn football. Now, if there's one thing the football fan wants, it's a football getting hit in the stance. Shepard gets hit with it, and I'm looking the wrong way a ball hit Shepard, bounced up, and 17 guys fought over it. I could have caught that thing and had it in my hip pocket. I lost the coffee, I lost the hot dogs, and what's worse, I lost the damn football. Oh, there are nights, friends, when I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I still see that ball bouncing. Why did I have to look back? Why did I have to look at the crowd and look back? I saw him kick it. I saw him kick it. But right over... By the way, they, they it was a good field goal, in case you're curious. They, it was all right. <laughs> I could have had the ball that was kicked by a giant kicker that beat the Baltimore Colts for the championship of the NFL. What did I get? I'll tell you what I got coffee all over my pants. I got some mustard on my new coat. That's what I got. Never forget it. And so tonight, we salute Paul Headland. Sportsman extraordinary. Ninety-nine foul balls in one season. Incredible record. And so, think clean thoughts, gang. Uh, don't push too hard. It won't do you any good. And don't you forget Carnegie Hall, the seventeenth of October. Jay, what I said, eight p.m. That is an assignment. If you want to find out more about it, you call Carnegie Hall Monday. Quick, quick.